Well, hello and welcome back to Coming Home Network Presents, where we have conversations about the kinds of things people wrestle with when they're exploring the Catholic Church and wondering if they should become a part of it. And today, we get to talk to a couple guys who've been on the show before, but in very different kinds of contexts. Um, Keith Nestor uh, joining us now, also Sean McAfee, and uh, they both have their own unique experiences to bring to bear on the question we're going to tackle today, which is essentially, if you're a brand new Catholic, how are you supposed to spend that first year? You know, you spent a year trying to come into the church, and now you got this first year where you're in the church, so what's going on? Um, we're going to get into all those kinds of questions uh, here in just a moment, but uh, you can find more resources and more episodes of this show by going to chnetwork.org. Uh, if you're looking for an online community of great people who are you know, trying to figure this all out together, you can go to community.chnetwork.org, and of course it's all made possible because of generous people um, who go to chnetwork.org slash donate and make monthly or one-time gifts. Um, that's so people who come to us don't have to pay anything and we can just give them stuff for free. So Keith, Sean, thank you for joining me again. Even though you joined me the last time, I, it's amazing to me that you're willing to come back, both of you. No problem. I'm happy to be here. All right. So um, topic today is that first year in the church. So there are a lot of people who are in the Coming Home Network and they're wondering, you know, what would be like my conversion converts guide to like Roman Catholicism. Like what would that first year in the church be like? You know, I'm Catholic now. What? Well, it turns out that Keith, you wrote a book called the converts guide to Roman Catholicism, your first year in the church. And Sean, you wrote a book called I'm Catholic now. What? So I figured I get you both on. Um, we'll start with you, Sean. Uh, so since you've been very public about this, I know that you've mentioned, uh, that when you, first came into the church and received communion for the first time, uh, you were carried uh, mystically to the third heaven and experienced uh, the presence of God in like an unmitigated way and didn't sin for like four years. So I wonder if you could maybe share a little bit about what that was like, that first, you know, experience of becoming Catholic and all your problems being solved. Yeah, the the only details to correct there is the fourth level of heaven in five years. So I, you know, whenever I entered the Catholic Church, I think I had all the expectations possible. I had actually had started like a degree program in dogmatic theology and um, had studied my way into the church and felt really good about converting. Um, and although I, you know, wouldn't change a thing, so to speak, now, you know, about 11 years later, um, there were some stumbling blocks. And I, and one of those, like you said, was my first impression of what, what the year, what that year would be like, especially on the Easter vigil. You know, um, I always make the joke. I say, you know, the ground didn't shake and ear, you know, smoke wasn't coming out of my ears or anything. Um, and I think, not that I expected anything crazy like that to happen, but I, I would say that I did expect for maybe me to be a bit more, I don't know, understanding of my own conversion, understanding of what was going on at mass even wasn't even occurring to me um, at that point. I had an appreciation for some of the, uh, some of the, I guess, basics, um, and I was educated, but I tell you, even 11 years later, there's so much to learn. There's so much I still don't know. There's so much I'm still discovering about the church and myself and the saints, um, and it's been wonderful. Well, we're going to unpack some of that here in a little bit, but let's go to Keith Nestor because, you know, your situation is, is slightly different because you were a Protestant minister. You know, like you were a Methodist minister. That was your background. And so when you came in, um, you know, this is, 
you know, you're used to bringing people into your congregation, used to leading people to Christ, right? You're used to that, you know, facilitating that moment a lot. So what was that moment like for you when it happened and you were finally confirmed a Catholic? Like, how did that compare to what you were used to when you were, you know, leading youth group kids to Christ? Yeah, it was really different, but I was excited because it was such a long journey and so many things had to happen. It was just within my own heart before I would be willing to become Catholic and enter into that. And so when it finally happened, it felt like in many ways I was in this tension between this is the end of a, of something, but it's also the beginning of something. And I think for a lot of people, they don't know which one they're supposed to feel at any given point in time. So for people who are kind of in the, this is the end, it's been a long journey. There can be this desire of now I can just rest and I'm done. But then also at the same time, now you realize that the journey has just begun. And for people who are like, this is where it all starts. That's, that's, that's can be intimidating sometimes because to come into the Catholic church and to step into it from the outside, you know, you can learn everything you want to learn about Catholicism without being Catholic. But once you become Catholic now, as my priest used to say, Catholics got to follow Catholic rules. And so there's all this whole new expectation set of expectations, but now you can participate in the sacraments and receive those graces. So for me, it was a lot of, of firsts and it was also a lot of lasts too, but it was, it was just completely awesome. Well, I invited the two of you on uh, because, I mean, I could have invited people who came into the church in any number of ways, but I know that the two of you are wired in, in a certain way and it's similar to how I was wired. Um, there are a hundred different ways to come into the church and a hundred different things that draw people in, but for all of us, we kind of wanted to know what the fine print was. We kind of wanted to know and learn all the things before we'd say, you know, I believe and, you know, hold all that the church teaches to be revealed by God. So there was such an intellectual component for me that uh, in some ways, I don't think I was, I think I was really intellectually prepared to say yes to the church, but I don't know how emotionally, spiritually, mm. and like liturgically prepared I was to enter the church. Sean, did you experience that or like was... Were you like, you know, kind of ready to like say, hey, I've done all the brain work. I'm ready to do the life work. Like, how did that play out in those first days? The life work, I don't think I understood any sort of checklist. I understood, you know, the need to receive the sacraments regularly. The need to use sacramentals regularly. The need to sanctify my life. That was certainly there. But it took me probably one year to decide to convert. And I was able to kind of rush through RCIA starting in like January and then entering at Easter that year. Um, so they kind of cut me some favors, but I'll say as far as the intellectual side is concerned, I had such confidence in the basics, right? Peter as the rock that the church is literally built on the authority of the Pope, um, the, vir the extreme virtue of Mary. Um, a lot of these stumbling blocks that would remove somebody to say, you know, the derogatory side of the church to, you know, um, persistently question, I had those answered beyond doubt. Um, now the how to live life as a Catholic, how to better understand and become friends with the saints, how to better understand the sacraments like marriage that I was already engaged in. Those are things that took quite a bit of time. Yeah. How about you, Keith? Yeah, all that. And just the cultural things that I wasn't quite sure about. So, for example, coming into a, a, a church and realizing that in, in Catholicism, a lot of times there's a lot of difference between just how parishes function versus how Protestant churches function. 
The process of finding a local church is different when you're a Catholic versus when you're a Protestant. The things that people um, do for you when you're church shopping or whatever you want to call it, you know, in, in Protestantism, a lot of times, especially evangelical Protestantism, there there is such a focus on bringing new people in. And there's such a welcoming component to that and a lot of programs devoted to life in general that, and then when you come to Catholicism, like a lot of Catholic parishes don't even think like that. People are coming into the church, not with the focus on what's going on around them in terms of other people, but very much focused on their own worship experience, focusing on prayer and the sacrament, of course, which is just different. It feels different to be Catholic than it does to be Protestant. And those are things that I don't think you can really prepare yourself for. I mean, yes, you can go to mass and church, but it, it doesn't feel the same until you're actually part of, of the church in, in an official standpoint. Um, but to, to step into it, I feel like coming, coming to that place where intellectually you've gone, okay, I believe all this stuff. Now I'm ready to walk into it and to receive it. It, it does feel different. And, and there will be things that are challenging. But for me, the biggest difference was that now, like personally, my family wasn't all together anymore. You know, I have three kids that didn't come into the Catholic church with my wife and I, and she came with me, but, but our kids didn't want to do that. They were, they were teenagers and they didn't get it. So now our family's worshiping separately and that feels weird. We're in a new environment anyway. And it had been a long time that I had not been that I, it was a long time that I was the new guy in a church because when you're Pat, when you're a pastor, you know, that doesn't happen too often. So just to feel new and out of my element, but at the same time to have this weird sense that I'm home, like those two things held in tension are powerful when you're like, I've never been here before, but this is where I belong. So walking in and wanting to absorb every little thing, but practical things like, well, where am I supposed to sit in mass? Because, you know, if I sit in the back, like I used to, or like most people do, I can't hear anything and there's screaming kids everywhere. So do I sit all the way up in the front? You know, what do I, what do I need to do? Are people hanging around so afterwards? You can't I, sit up in the front because you have to have somebody in front of you to watch. That's so the know, other part. That's my I family. Mean, that's my family. Yeah. That's the thing. Like when, and especially when we started going to the Latin mass, that's heavy. When you, when you, you want to be in the front so you can see what's going on, but you don't know when to do anything and you're kind of looking around, but I don't know, just, just stuff like that. But it was, you know, it was just awesome for me to feel in my heart like I was where I belonged. And I was okay with learning the ropes and trying to figure things out. And I knew it was going to take time. I didn't have this expectation that I was going to know everything the second I became Catholic. I think sometimes people think like that. Oh, well, I'm Catholic now. It's, it's all going to make sense. I, I know it all, but you really don't know. Even though you've gone through RCA, which nothing, I didn't man. do, by the way. <laughs> I think, that, <laughs> There's so I think much that's to what learn. gives the onus for the show. You know, this particular episode is a yeah. lot of people are type A's like you and me, Keith, mm -hmm. you too, Matt, and we're willing to, okay, under have maybe the emotional and intellectual maturity to say, okay, I will get it. I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to stay. I'm going to make it to year two. You know, that's that'd be the commitment. Make it to year two in my first year. Um, but not everybody has that. Um, that guiding principle, you know, some people, you know, they can believe and believe and, you know, go receive and receive and confess and confess, but they still have their doubts, um, or those doubts creep in or they get challenged. And, uh, that gives the, you know, probably the demand for this sort of show and this type of reading of yours, Keith. Yeah. Well, so this, I have about 200 questions here that could play into this conversation and we, we've got doors a through like double J, 
But I want to, while we're on this, I think this is worth uh, really digging into. Um, and, and that's this question of, you know, for so many of us who were selecting churches, and this is going to be a different kind of thing for you, Keith, because you're, rather than just selecting churches, you're like curating an entire church vibe and experience. For Sean, and I believe you were in the military at the time, right? So you're going from spot to spot. And, and you know, we're used to saying, okay, let me gauge how this fits my experience and how does this feel? How's this sound? Um, you know, how does it connect with me? And that's whether or not I'm going to believe it's true. Or maybe we're like going to try and say, I want to try and get so far away from that mindset as possible that I just want to say what is truth and like just engage only my intellect. Um, and what, well, Sean, you mentioned this in your book. <laughs> you talk about how you were confused and, you know, kind of dissatisfied by like modern evangelicalism. A lot of people come to the Catholic Church because they've got like this, like evangelicalism isn't it. So there's the dissatisfaction with evangelicalism that is part of what, you know, drives someone to the Catholic Church. But then there's this other thing that happens once you become Catholic. It's that you become dissatisfied, dissatisfied with Catholicism for not being evangelicalism. <laughs> so, you know, I wonder <laughs> if you could maybe speak to that a little bit, Sean, like that all the things that you like miss about your old church now that you're in, well, the true church and like how you got to manage all that. Sure. On a, on a basic level, I would agree with one of the things that Keith said earlier, like I went, I was church shopping and you would, you would eventually understand where you fit in. Um, there wasn't like a lot of papal documents to read or you didn't really need to understand why, you know, we have these super traditional people or, um, you know, we call them Nova Sordo people, you know, but they're really all Catholics. You didn't really need to understand any elements of the milieu like that. You were going to receive kind of one, I'd say, general message. And Catholicism quickly became this deep jungle. Um, and I kind of knew that that would be there, but this deep jungle of information, um, especially with, with regards to the saints, um, and the practical applications of living a, a holy life. Um, I guess we, you know, we would, or, or wondering how you could be productive. Um, and looking at Keith, a previous pastor, you know, I wasn't that, but I mean, that would probably be the natural ladder for somebody who was serious about their faith is, Hey, you can become a youth pastor. You can become a, um, young adult pastor. You could become a pastor. That, that's probably the normal ladder that we would find. And then I came into the church and, well, I've got marriage. And that was me. Or somebody might come to the church and you've got the single life. And you're not. There actually is a ladder, Sean. Just so you know, I don't know if you found this early on. The ladder is not youth minister to associate pastor to pastor. The ladder is first degree Knight of Columbus yeah. to second degree Knight of Columbus <laughs> to third degree. That's, that's the ladder for dudes. Okay. So. <laughs> Not to digress on the importance of those organizations. <laughs> I'm a third order Dominican myself. Oh, um, there you go. But but I, I but I would I kind of got into Catholicism and I realized those options aren't there. So what can I do? And it took me a a bit of time. Like I said, emotional and intellectual maturity to realize. And this is really the main point: is you don't need to do it all at once, and you don't need to know exactly where you're going the next day. You know, this isn't career planning. This isn't. Um, this isn't welfare, welfare estate planning or, or what do they call it? Estate planning. Um, you don't need to think of what you're going to be doing in 10 years. There is a consistent value to living a Catholic life every day and progressing in that sanctification while not trying to see this visible ladder. How do I become Matt Swim? How do I become um, Dr. Sri? How do I become Scott Hahn? You're inspired by these folks, but it took me a while to realize I don't need to necessarily be like them even even if I have a published author now, I had my own route road to travel. And that's, that would probably be my, 
you know, I'm not sure how you characterize it in the beginning of your question, but that, that was probably my, my struggle if there was one, um, understanding where I fit in. Yeah. How about you, Keith? Because this is a different character for you because, and we deal with this all the time with, with brand new baby Catholics who used to be like running, they were like Sunday school superintendents if they weren't pastors, right? Or they were yeah. in music ministry or they were doing children's church or they were doing something. And now they come in and like, they're, they're just, nobody even knows who they are. And they like pick up a flyer or they tear up a tab saying, Hey, I want to get involved in like this ministry. And nobody calls them back. Like, <laughs> it's it's tough you know for yeah. especially for someone who comes from uh, i mean that's a big blow to the ego right well i mean that's the point and the reality is i think and this is just me when i talk to people who were in professional ministry that are becoming catholic a lot of times people have that sense of okay well how do i do what i did before but now as a catholic and I can't speak to anybody else's journey, but I don't think it's, I don't think you should make that part of the plan right away. I remember my priest said to me, Keith, I'm just going to leave you alone for a year. And what he meant by that was, I'm not going to like bug you to do stuff in the church. I'm not going to try to put you in leadership. I'm not going to try to get you to tell your story or do anything like that. You just need to be Catholic for a year and just experience that. And I looked at that as the biggest gift he could have given me. Because I really needed that. I, and I, I came into this with zero plans to do any kind of thing or any kind of ministry or any like that. Because honestly, that was the hardest part for me in becoming Catholic. I, I was convinced of the truth of the Catholic faith. That's, that part had come, had, had hit me. It was now, can you do this? And then what are you going to do? The practical realities of life. But I find that too many times we come into the church with all of these strings attached. Okay, I'll become Catholic, but I better get to do this and I better get to do that. Well, if you do if you do that, you're not really coming into the church with complete humility and you're not really open to what God wants for you. You need to be willing to come in with a blank slate and let God decide what to do with you. And like I tell a lot of people who are pastors or in ministry and they're like, well, what am I supposed to do for a job? I just go, whatever you can find. That's really the truth is, you need, to, you need to have a different understanding of who you are because in Protestant ministry, that's your identity. In Catholicism, it's not. Your identity is you are a Catholic. That's what you are. So what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to be a good Catholic. You're supposed to fulfill your obligations to the church and to the sacraments and to the Lord and worship as a Catholic and, and function as a Catholic. What you do to feed your family, that's really, that's really up to you and it really doesn't matter. So... We have to let go of those expectations sometimes. And we also have to let go of, and this is where I think it can be kind of hard for people. We have to realize that when we come in, we come in like babies. We don't come in with, well, I'm the expert on all this stuff, so you better consult me and you better let me tell you how to run your church and all that stuff like that. That's a recipe for disaster. You need to come in as a, into the Catholic church with, with complete blank slate openness to whatever God wants to do in you. And then you find your way because God reveals those things to you. You don't come in with like an agenda. Yeah, that's so well good. Said. And 
I would very much encourage people to go uh, a few episodes back. Uh, I did an episode with Lorelai Sabarin and Casey and Aaron Phillips, and the title of that episode was Do Converts Really Make the Best Catholics? Because uh, that's the thing that, you know, so many people get told coming in because, you know, so many people read so many books because they want to make sure they know everything before they sign on the dotted line and agree to be confirmed in the church that therefore a lot of cradle Catholics who've been formed by the Eucharist their entire lives somehow think that these people who read a few books are better Catholics when in fact, like, you're like, we, we, we come in as like babies, yeah. right? Total yeah. babies. We might be louder and more visible, but I, I disagree with that too. I think there's a whole set of virtues that come with being a cradle Catholic, you know, like fidelity and endurance and perseverance. These people have had to deal with it their whole life. And if they're still practicing and they're 10, it's like seeing a 50 year marriage celebration. You ever seen one of those? It's like, holy cow. Like how, even after five or 10 years of marriage, you know, times five times six, you know, that has to be. A whole nother, nother level of virtue and commitment. So, yeah, I, I I have a great respect for cradle Catholics. Yeah, what if we were to say, oh, you you peop- you newlyweds, you're the best kind of married people. Like, <laughs> we, would ne- we would never say that, right? We would never, ever say that. But, well, the know, thing about the newlyweds and the converts is the excitement. And that's what I think. Yeah. See, what I, what I think people mean when they say stuff like that, oh, you converts make the best Catholics. It's just because converts are excited and most cradle Catholics aren't. That, that's That's the stereotype. You know, and I don't know that that's a, that's a true stereotype because I know there's probably plenty of converts that come in. They're just trying to please the in-laws or get married. They don't really care. Yeah. They're just like, yeah, okay, I'll be Catholic. What difference does it make? Well, they're technically a convert too. Um, and there are plenty of people who are cradle Catholics that are fired up for their faith. But I think out on a whole, the reason why people say stuff like that is because somebody who's come into the church as a convert had to actually decide to be Catholic, whereas the perception, and I think it's a perception, is that a cradle Catholic didn't have to decide to be Catholic. But the reality is, uh, you know, that you mentioned a minute ago, Sean, is that, no, you have to persevere. For a cradle Catholic, I think there's a greater virtue in that. For someone who's, let's say, they're 40 years old and they're still a Catholic after 40 years of all the stuff they've gone through and that's happened in the church and they haven't left, that person has a whole lot more... Um, in my opinion, um, they have a bigger story to tell that we don't always listen to because they've stuck through a lot of hard stuff. Yep. All right. Yeah, that's, that's super important. Um, again, you know, there's only so much you can know after five, 10, 15, 20, 40 years in the church, right? <laughs> you know, there are people who've been part of the rosary guild and they're in their late eighties who may not know where to find a verse in the Bible, but they're getting to heaven like 20 times faster than you are. So there's that. Um, but, okay, so sh- let's see. Should we go with a fun question or an awkward question? We'll, we'll go with a fun question. <laughs> we'll go with a fun question. I was hoping right, Sean. Uh, going so, first every time, fun or not. Because I'm telling you. So you have lived all over the world because, you know, you've got a military you know, that's, that's, that's your, that's your background. Um, how much of a relief was it to you being that first year in the church to know that no matter where you traveled, no matter what part of the world you were in, no matter what state, no matter what city, you didn't have to be like, I wonder what church we should go to this Sunday. Like what, how much of a relief was it in that first year, especially to know, like, no matter where you were, you knew where you were going to church. It was wonderful. And it it didn't have much to do with being in the military because by the time I had gotten out, just to clarify, I was still, I'm still working for the Army Corps of Engineers, but I hadn't yet like traveled around as a Catholic. But my diocese, my original diocese, my entry diocese was Omaha, 
I think there's like something like 150 churches in that diocese. It's massive. And that's doesn't even butt heads with, with Lincoln or a Des Moines, which, you know, big Catholic presence there too. Um, but I, I would say that was one of the reasons it was pointed out in Cardinal Gibbons, uh, the faith of our fathers. You know, my he says, favorite you book, go, brother. My favorite book too. Anywhere in the world yeah. you can go. I can't remember the quote. He says, you can find, you, you ask where the Catholic church is and they'll point you to the Catholic church. Not going to point you to the Orthodox church. They're not going to point you to, you know, um, you know, a, a breakaway church or schismatics. They're going to point you to a Catholic church, probably 10 commandments out front, probably a crucifix up top. And you're going to feel at home because you know, What's going on within the mass? Um, like you mentioned, Keith, like it was probably pretty hard to understand the way that parish life goes. Um, and what it means, especially e- even living overseas, like the parochial life living overseas is n- non-existent. Americans have parishes. Everybody else, they've got a church they they go to, you know, and that, that's a reality of the way that the church is kind of meant to coexist within different, uh, um, Episcopal sees, but anywho, um, yeah, it, it was a great source of relief and a great sort of motivation that I could not have to worry about church shopping and I could more worry about things like pilgrimages, you know, whether it was, you know, one diocese away or a country away or just a couple streets over, go to a different church, meet a different priest, meet some families, meet a deacon, see how they're doing things and just appreciate the arts. Of course, the um, the sacred art within these churches. It, it, it was wonderful, and it still is. Well, and just to, I mean, for for any cradle Catholics who might be watching this, who don't understand, like, why that's a crazy concept. Like, Keith, you're from, like, nowhere, Iowa. You couldn't go a block down and get the same experience at another Protestant church in your own little town, right? I mean, it's just like a completely different worldview to be able to just go anywhere in the world and have the same kind of church. Like, that's crazy. Like, what a cool thing as a new Catholic. I love it. I love it. Um, yet at the same time, it doesn't always feel that way. In, in one sense, it does because like we have a really awesome parish that we are part of here in our town. But I've traveled, you know, to places and gone to Catholic churches that I just like, oh, I don't know about this, you know. So, but I will say that people say stuff like that all the time, and that's true. But it's 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 the spectrum of what you can or can't find in that world is so much smaller than what it's like as a Protestant. You know, I mean, yeah, you might find somebody, you might find a place where the architecture is a little bit different or the music's a little bit different. And you're kind of like, Oh, I miss my old church where the architecture is better and the music's better. But the liturgy is the same. The readings are the same. The, the authority is the same. The doctrine is the same. The sacraments are the same. There's so much of that that is there. So you just have to remember, because this is the thing, as Protestants were trained to really get focused on those, um, those things that are more on the surface. That's what we focus on. Well, did I, did I like the feel here? Was the music, the band, the preacher, blah, 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 blah. We don't, we don't walk into the, your average Joe Protestant church and go, well, what's their theology of the communion of saints or of the essence of the Holy Spirit? That's, you know, ask your average Protestant why they left their church. It's because, oh, well, they put up the different thing that I didn't like or whatever. In, in the Catholic church, all those core things are the same, which you have to learn that that's what truly matters. And when you can grasp a hold of that, then you can experience that, that community of the worldwide universal church. And then it's just amazing. Now well, you dovetailed into the, um, the, the, the depressing question that I was going to ask. Well, the, one of the first depressing questions. Is this the awkward one or is this, this is this the, still the funny well, one? Well, this is, this is awkward. He I, said I mean, fun, not sure funny. That, oh, okay. That's true. 
Um, and it's not fun, right? The first time that you really hit those first disappointments as a new Catholic, like you're on fire and then you're like, all right, I came into the church at Easter Vigil. July 4th comes around. I'm going to go to, you know, the beach. And then you go to the beach parish and it is like the worst mass you've ever seen in your entire life. Right. Or uh, and this happens all the time. You're like, hey, it's May of this year and I'm still excited about being Catholic. And now this, you know, report comes out from uh, the federal investigator of some state about like 500 priests who did this horrible thing. Right. Like Mm, those disappointments. I mean, often the the honeymoon period of being Catholic does not last very long before you're hit with something or or. I mean, I'm talking about like external things now, but let's even take it to the personal level. You're fired up. You just received your first communion. Like, what do you do when that first disappointment hits and you're like, oh no, I have screwed up things royally in my personal life and with my family. And I can't go to communion this week unless I get to confession on Saturday. Like, I've ruined this amazing gift that I've been given. Like, I wonder like how maybe, well, we'll start with you, Sean. Like this this idea of processing those that first round or two of like disappointments whether they're your fault or somebody else's i think that there's a um i think that there's a grace in in having those disappointments especially the one you just mentioned you know being guilty of a particular sin if it's a uh, grievous if it's a grave sin um having the appreciation and and really i'd say the gratitude for having a contrite heart that is uh saddened about the separation that can happen um, not as so much as a penal sense, but the natural separation that goes along with our sin. I, I'm grateful for those moments sometimes, even still. Um, I think they, they show the contrition. So um, I certainly understand the analogy you're making or the, the, the situation that you're building there. I I did, uh, we said funny, right? So I, I don't know if this is a funny experience, and I'm not too much of a fan of um, non-priests talking about what happens in confession, but I had a really stunning moment one time. I must have been a year as a Catholic, and I went to a, a particular parish in um, a city in the Midwest, and, and I had never been there before, and I went to confession, and I had like a six-month-old son with me, or one-year-old, he's in a car seat, or I mean a one-year-old in a car seat, and um, it was just me and him, and I wanted to go to confession before I had a meeting, and he, I tell him that I had my son with me, and I said, he's in a car seat. This priest's reaction was really disappointing. He was very upset that I had brought somebody into confession with me, and it's like, this is a child, you know, I mean, doesn't understand anything I say. Um, not that even my 11-year-old, who it was, still uh, still doesn't understand anything I say. But um, that his reaction really threw me off. And uh, that was from the first moment where I'll tell you, like, the uh, clergy um, gave me a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth. But I keep going back to this. I, I would just say the, you know, having the maturity to be forgiving and to say, hey, look, I'm the one here in confession, you know, um, to say, hey, you know, we all we all fall short. That probably wasn't his intent. Um, and how many times have I come off as rude or ghastly or surprising to somebody? Um, so I, I treated it with a bit of uh, compassion, um, but that one stuck out to me. And I probably, I'm not so upset about it whatsoever, but it probably sticks out to me as one recurring example that I have to think back to whenever I think, okay, I'm not really liking that reaction from that priest or that deacon or that bishop. Really, you know, I don't feel like they're giving me their time or, you know, you don't get that email or that text message or something uh, replied to. That can 
build over time. And I know a lot of people who have gone into a certain parish and they're like, my priest doesn't want to talk to me. Does, you know, I hear about this interaction from people like Sean and I don't, I don't get that. Um, my priest doesn't care. And I think that that's one example that I think of commonly. And I go back to as an example of, okay, we've got to be patient. Maybe I got to go to a different parish. Maybe I got to talk to a different piece. Maybe I, maybe I got to just be honest and confront, um, you know, politely, professionally confront, um, that clergy with that. So that'd be, that would be my example. Or maybe you just got to do what you've never done in your whole life, which is stick it out in a situation that's not good at your church because it's just not to your liking, which I've done more than once, right? Like every other situation in my life, it'd be like, all right, well, I don't like this guy. So, uh, let's see what else is out there. And like, that's why I come on your show once a year. There you go. (laughs) Uh, but you know, this is, uh, I mean, there's there's some stuff, you know, that, that we got to kind of get over as 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 people who are lifelong Protestants. And again, there are people who are probably watching this that are coming from other backgrounds. But I feel like, you know, we all kind of have a sort of common experience of, of being like, hey, I don't like it here. We got options, you know, let's shop around. <laughs> and just being able to stick in that situation is, I mean, that that takes some rewiring. But how about you, Keith? Huh. Well, I think like you, it's a matter of focus. Because here's the reality. There are good things going on around you. And there are bad things going on around you. When you're Catholic, you're part of something that is so big and so um, encompassing of all types of different elements of humanity. And whatever you choose to look for, you're going to find. And so if you want to find people who are unwelcoming and unfriendly and unkind and priests who are jerks, you can certainly find that. But if you also want to find things that are good, true, and beautiful, and loving, and caring, and and nurturing, and 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 whatever, you, you can find those things too. So it's a matter of saying, I, I know I'm in the truth in terms of the church. Now I have to be having my my lens be one of the things that are good, and I'm gonna be I'm gonna be put not focusing on the negative always be focusing on the positive. I think that's huge for people because, and that's not as easy as it might sound if you have any type of internet access. But when you make the decision you're, in your you're own You're delving, heart, by the way, into another topic that I was getting ready to hit on, which is yeah. how do you stay Catholic if you have Twitter and watch well, the way that Catholics slaughter each other on Twitter? Because this is one of the ways that people get disillusioned, right? Yeah, and again, that's that's a good that's a good segue, I guess, is to think to yourself, why do I have to look at this? What is this doing for me? Is this help? Just because someone is technically Catholic doesn't mean they're a good person. And I think when you first become Catholic, you have this weird idea. I don't know where it comes from, but I think you have this weird idea that you're stepping into a, a, a community of people where everyone's awesome. Everyone's loving. Everyone knows the truth. Everyone is, has integrity and, and it's just going to be great. But what you learn is no, everyone is pretty much the way people were in other places that you were. Human beings are human beings, whether they're Catholic or whatever. So the type of people that you surround yourself with and 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 work with, you know, I'll tell you what, here's this is the truth. I've encountered I've been in lots of different types of churches. I've never encountered people that are as on fire for the Lord and genuine and beautiful. I've encountered so many in the Catholic Church, but I've never encountered crazier people either than since I've been in the in the Catholic Church too. And I, and then I'm not being disparaging. I'm saying like, they're both going to be there. Like you're going to find people who are going to help you grow in your holiness. And then you're going to find people who are going to make it so challenging to be around that you don't know if you can deal with it. And then you go, Oh man, I feel bad because they're Catholic. 
Yeah, that's but here's just how it is. Yeah, the church like, is still made the, up of people. Exactly. In the churches we came from, we kind of weeded out the crazy people, right? We didn't have to deal with them. If they were crazy, we made it uncomfortable for uncomfortable for them and they left, right? Or if there were too many crazy people in a place, we're like, yeah, I'm not going to this place with all these crazy people. Like here, you kind of, well, it's like the line from Hoosiers, you know, there's two kinds of dumb. There's the guy that gets drunk and gets naked and howls at the moon. And then there's the second guy who does the same thing in your living room. The first one don't matter much. The second one you forced to deal with, right? In the Catholic Church, like they'll tell you, like you know, it's full of sinners. And yeah, you're like, okay, I understand that the church is a hospital for sinners. But what they don't tell you is it's also full of like weird people and quirky people and odd personalities and like people who are not at all, don't have anything in common with you except for the Eucharist, right? <laughs> and you got to be in the same place as all those people. And that that can be kind of a jarring experience for people who've always self-selected our churches and didn't even realize that the whole time, because of the way that we went about church shopping, we were always every Sunday in a room full of people who were the same race, income level, uh, you know, political aspirations, musical tastes, all that as us. And now we got to deal with like everybody from everywhere who happens to be baptized and in our zip code. So that's a very different kind of reality. Yep. Which is a beautiful thing. But at the same time, what, what I think about telling people is just focus on what's helpful. If anything is making it more difficult for you to stay in the church, then just don't focus on that. Focus, find people that are going to be helpful to you. Find media that's going to be helpful to you. Find gatherings that are going to be helpful to you. If you keep getting invited to stuff and every time you come home from it, you feel like just like you're so triggered or you're so filled with angst, then stop going to that group. You know, if, if, if you, if you go to this thing that someone's, Oh, you got to come to this. We're going to do the blah, 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 blah. blah and, and you're just like, this isn't good for me. You don't have to do it. Yep. If your hand causes you to sin, it's the same principle. There you go. Yeah. Well, uh, this is uh this is a handy segue into another thing that I wanted to talk about. Um, this is just going to get more awkward as the interview goes on, just so you guys know. So uh, I mentioned Twitter, but that's a segue into another kind of mentality that can often go on with brand new Catholics. You know, in some ways, becoming Catholic, it's like showing up on the first day of college and like they have all these clubs on campus that they're trying to get you to sign up for. Mm, yeah. You know? and, and that can, <laughs> wow. That can happen a little bit with Catholicism. And you, there's this trap that you can fall into where people will be like, you know, I'm in this diocese, but my bishop's, my bishop's terrible. You know what bishop I like? Bishop so-and-so over in this diocese. Right. Right. And like, this is the good bishop. This is the bad bishop. I don't have to listen to my guy. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, I, I listen to these like four or five bishops that I think are really cool. And these guys, they're like, oh, you know, whatever. They don't yeah, get it. I go like, to mass, but you know, I really that, like that that podcast priest. Right, exactly. Like, you know, the idea like, oh, these are the only people who are actually speaking the truth is this handful of priests over there. They're not my actual pastors. I don't have to listen to what my pastor says. Like, Sean, maybe if you could like talk a little bit about getting out of that kind of mentality of like really sort of, well, it's a Protestantizing impulse, right? To like self-select our authorities for ourselves. Yeah, um, I hate to sound redundant and just chew, chew on more what Keith said, but I feel the exact same way as, as he did about what he articulated is if, you know, if you feel whether it's Facebook or Twitter, which is a common one, I'll say, but, um, even within your own parish, like there's just no breathing room for an opinion. Um, it's probably time to back off of those. Um, and that's why I like what the church continuously professes about the sacramental life. It doesn't require you to get into any groups. Knights of Columbus, great. 
Third Order of St. Dominic, great. Oblates to St. Benedict, great. But you are not required to do any of those. Um, in fact, there are a lot of causes, right? Private revelations, Fatima, Lords, you know, and you might meet a lot of Catholics who are really on fire about these visitations and apparitions, and you're not required to do any of those. The I, I continuously preach these. I, um, I kind of have a private group on this app called Discord, and it's for video game nerds like me. Um, but they need evangelization too. And a lot of these young men, um, who share this passion, they, they get caught up in that. Um, they don't know, you know, it's so convincing, I suppose. And so, um, it's so mysterious. And, uh, and I guess they like the personalities that they think, well, if, if they're successful at it, if they're happy, then I need to do that to be happy. Um, and also it has a, you know, speaking about social media, it, it has a lot to do with just what we are already into. We kind of alluded that, you know, about what we were talking about earlier on the podcast about kind of having your preconceived notions and, hey, I need to join the Catholic Church and it needs to look like I did when I was Protestant. I, I, like when I was Protestant, I won't join unless I get to do this. But on the other side of the coin, people do enter, enter Catholicism and they still keep those accounts, we'll say. Um, they meet good Catholics, they meet this or that Catholic, people share this post, that post, and suddenly they've got an antenna receiving a signal from somebody that they never intended to meet, probably had never imagined they'd have those kinds of convictions or opinions, and uh, and the whole thing just creates kind of this this circular system of, uh, you know, could be negativity, but it's certainly a one of influence, where they think, man, I really love this platform, I really love this media app. TikTok, whatever. Um, and they're thinking, well, these are Catholics on there. I need to be a part of that. That's the way that I'm going to be plugged in. And there's some wisdom to that, I suppose, to you know, getting plugged in on the media that you're already within. But um, like Keith said, there's really no better advice than to uh, you really just, you know, in the military, we say hunt the good stuff. You you really have to be discerning and say, well, what's really making me happy? And or, or if I'm angered, is it is it a righteous anger? Or is it or is it super negative anger? And you know, is this really becoming, is this really drawing me to the sacraments? Um, is this really drawing me to holiness? Um, or is this drawing me to, you know, impiety and, and anger and division and separation and eventually schismatism? And those are not positive things to do. Yeah. And that's well, underwhelming. And things it. that can creep in like from day one of being Catholic and often creep in for people even when they're in RCIA or even thinking about being in RCIA, they want right. to become part of like the purest little sliver of yeah. the church, right? Understanding, it's a, it's a, they, they say the both and in Catholicism, and I, I think my guiding principle for a long time, not, you know, I've been to TLMs, love them, we go on the first Sunday of the month, um, but it's not our it's not a permanent church, you know. Uh, my guiding principle, whether you're one side or the other or right in the middle, is to find that, hey, like you said, what are the precepts? It's the first thing I talk about in, in all of my writing on you know, the journey home or staying with home is uh, how do I stay in my backyard or in the kitchen or something like that? How do I stay within this house is understand the precepts first, get your head wrapped around those and practice those before you start venturing out onto opinion land. Well, thanks a whole lot to both of you for saying that you both both go to TLMs and Novus Ordos as I have too, because now the comments are going to be completely derailed and nobody's going to hear anything that we talk about for the rest of this episode. But uh, <laughs> um, we Liturgy Wars will perhaps be another episode down the road. Um, but yeah, you know, you, you mentioned something I think that's so important in there, Sean. Um, and I'd like to get your take on this too, Keith, you know, that you, you, you can find that whole like, you know, sign up for all the clubs on campus kind of mentality. And, you know, I remember 
it wasn't very long after I became Catholic that I was working part-time, like, invisible, practically, for the local Catholic radio station. But it was in this, like, retreat, Catholic retreat center. And, uh, you know, a lot of people came to this retreat center because there was an adoration chapel and all kinds of, like, rosary clubs and all this stuff. And I'd get cornered, like, 15 times a day from various people who'd be like, hey, have you prayed, like, the 54-day novena to Our Lady of America? Or, like, have you done this? Like, And, and just feeling that pressure to, like, join every club. I've got to be a third-order... Yeah. Franciscan and a third order Dominican and a Benedictine oblate, right? And I've got to be part of the Salesian guild. You know, I've got to do all these things. Like, <laughs> you know, I mean, Keith, how did you kind of manage some of that pressure with, you know, because, you know, people were mar- dragging, even before you were Catholic, people were dragging you to Marian apparition sites and that sort of thing. Like, how do you manage a little bit of that so that you don't think that coming to the gates year one, you have to do every single thing that's possible for a Catholic to do? That's what really led me to write that book was that feeling of, okay, am I supposed to do all this and feeling, cause, cause when you come in, you're like, all right, I didn't come into this church to be half hearted, but what does that look like? And there's no shortage of people, like you said, sharing their favorite thing with you that, and, and you can think, okay, well, I guess this is just what all Catholics must do. Um, so I, I think that you have to find what works for you, but my, my advice in the first year is to find one thing that works for you and let that be your focus. And when someone tries to put other their thing on you, you could just say something like, oh, I, I'll look into that sometime, you know? And, you know, you're going to get hung up with people that are, oh, well, do you want to become a Knight of Columbus? Do you want to be... And certainly happens to me all the time. Hey, when are you going to be a deacon? Or when are you going to... You know, I just, I just say... Well, I'm on my journey. I get the deacon we'll s- talk like once every quarter. Oh, yeah. So from somebody somewhere. Yeah. So usually not even I, at my own parish. 100%. I get told, wait until your kids are moved out. Yeah. Well, mine are. So, so that's kind of that deal, you know, but wait till you I, made, made some money because deacons don't get paid. Oh, yeah. Well, okay. I'll be waiting a while. But the, the thing about it is you have to be comfortable enough in who you are just to be able to, to deal with that, but just know that you don't have to do all that stuff. Yeah. And other people are just going to be excited. This is the thing about being Catholic. Here's the thing you got to understand. Converts coming in. There are plenty of, there are lots of people in your church that are really, really excited about one particular aspect of the faith and they want to recruit you for their team. Yeah. They want you to be excited about it. So just like anything else. Oh, have you been to this restaurant? You got to go. Have you prayed this thing? You got to do. And sometimes it just comes down to smiling and nodding. Okay. Well, thanks for that. You know, um, but you don't have to do all of that. Find the things that are helpful to you. And focus on those things, but don't focus on too many things. Pick one thing. And when I say like one thing, I mean like, for example, you know, pray the rosary every day or do the liturgy of the hours, you know, or or whatever your devotion is that you're drawn to. Maybe it's you're going to read something. You want to read more of the church fathers, whatever. Don't try to do it all. It's a treasure chest. I always go back to Matthew 13, where Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. The Catholic church is that treasure, but you don't just dump it out on your head. You sort through it piece by piece and savor every bit of it. It's like going to a a gourmet restaurant, seven course meal. They don't bring it all to you at once. You take it little by little. So when these things are brought to you, you just say, oh, I'm so excited to get to that someday. Right now I'm working on this. Yeah. I think a lot of, I think the, the temptation to go into that those different directions, the third orders, the the different devotions, the apparitions is like, I'll just call it like light hero worship. Like usually what I found is somebody finds somebody they really respect, that's what they do, and they kind of get locked in on that. 
And that's, you know, it can be, can be good. Maybe there's a reason for that. But, uh, like you said, I, I think that it takes a lot more patience. Like you said, just find that one thing, maybe not even that one thing, maybe just the sacraments, maybe the sacrament you're already wed to, right? Marriage, yeah. uh, and focus on that. And even if your wife doesn't come in, you know, for a bit, I'm not sure about your personal story, Keith, but my, my wife didn't come in for like nine months. That was tough, you know, and it, mm. it required a lot of, um, a lot of patience and a lot of trust and, um, a lot of dedication to the sacrament that I was already administering. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. So I got two more questions. I thought you were going to say two more minutes. And I was like, oh, man. No, not I'm two more minutes. Fun. Well, it depends on how long you talk on these questions, really. But um, so let's let's well, let's start with with the well, we'll go with the awkward last uh, on these two questions. The, the first one is what's something that surprised you? Uh, in that first year that you didn't expect uh, to either love uh, about being Catholic uh, or didn't expect that was going to hit you in certain ways? Like what what was something about that first year that happened to you that even though you'd read all the stuff uh, really surprised you about being Catholic? Uh, because there are certain things you can read in books and there are certain things you can kind of only know by doing. Uh, Sean, what was something in that first year that really you were like, huh, didn't know it was going to be quite like this? Yeah, I, I have two, and I won't go to both of them unless you need time to fill. But the first one would oh, so- tell them both, man. You've already brought up the fact that there's two of them. Now you can't. So the first, and I'll just briefly mention it: social magisterium. Um, you know, and, and one part of my book, I say, do I need to change the way I vote? And um, answering those types of questions, understanding the church's social magisterium, I thought I kind of understood it, but it's deep. It's very wise, um, and it takes a lot of years to really understand, not just intellectually, but um, to really understand with your heart and how to live it. Uh, so that really surprised me. That probably, like we kind of touched on earlier, brought a lot of those, oh man, moments about like, you know, I don't know, call it Catholic guilt or what you want to call it, because you had to start kind of reshaping things you thought you already understood. Um and that's kind of one of the common complaints that comes out of some RCIA programs. They just don't have the time to explore every single thing. Um, so it's up to you to go and look at those. So that's brief. But I would say the one thing that made me go, huh, was my lack of interest in the saints. Um, I was talking about Marian apparitions and people who are excited about this or that devotion. And nobody stuck out to me. I had to choose a confirmation saint. It was Padre Pio. I really enjoyed his story. I, I needed a great... Um, I felt like I really needed a really great intercessor and, and that was kind of it. Um, and I had read, uh, you know, some basics about his bio and whatnot at that point, but nobody really, really stood out. Nobody really kind of drew me in and I didn't make any of those friends, they say. And that didn't happen for actually a few years. I was really still into the intellectual side. Um, and I think that kind of, I'll, I'll tell you the end of the story here is that several years later, I'm really glad that it happened the way it did. It would have been great to be friends with the saints upon entry of the church, but I had zero interest in but but that interest in the intellectual side really informed what I became very involved with later in my journey. Um, you know, the last five years or so of an eleven year journey as a Catholic of uh really appreciating the lengths that these men and women went to for the sacraments, for holiness, for you know, to hear a confession, Saint John Vianney or something like that. Um, understanding the importance of the sacraments and living that life and then seeing how it was portrayed in the life of a certain saint man. Um, but, but for the first year, I was surprised at how little interest I had. Yeah. How about you, Keith? What surprised you in that first year? 
Well, shameless plug, but I have a I have a playlist on my YouTube channel called Top Ten Surprising Things About Becoming Catholic. Things that I that and I made that within the first year, I believe, about things that I was like, I didn't think I would love this, but I do. And I'll just give you two of them. The first one for me was um like liturgical worship. You know, I'm the evangelical worship leading kind of, you know, free flowing worship experience kind of guy. And I never enjoyed liturgical worship until I became Catholic. And now I absolutely love and appreciate it. And whenever I do, for whatever reason, find myself in a non-Catholic worship service or whatever, and it's not liturgical, like it's just like, I, I freak out. So that was one thing to me that I, that I love because I learned why it is like, and what's why we do this and what it means. Another thing I would say, since Sean said another one too, is that that whole aspect of the universality of the church and the fact that we aren't segmented into categories of people. I mean, everything in my church before was all about trying to get people to be into little little clusters that are with people just like themselves because that's how we thought you built community. But what real community is are people who are different in, in every way under the sun but also have this sacramental bond together as part of the church. And what I when I've experienced that in the Catholic church, I feel like now I'm getting a piece of a taste of what heaven looks like because heaven is not going to be all, you know, the 20 somethings without kids over on this side of heaven and the 50 year olds over here. And, you know, the left-handed purple haired basket weavers over there in the corner, you know, it's, it's not like that in heaven. And the Catholic church is probably one of the best examples of what that looks like on earth. And I really appreciated that, and I, but I was surprised by it. Can we get his uh, his? Can we get that as the thumbnail for the episode? Yeah, we got it. That's going to be the you know, the the screenshot for this uh, episode. <laughs> you watch Seth will do that to you. I'm telling you, he'll do it to you. Uh, gosh, I, I'm trying to think what would be. I think I was surprised at how easy it was for me to fall in line with with the rhythm of the church. Uh, I thought it was going to take me decades to finally pick it up and like think like a catholic and move and breathe like a catholic but uh, i think i was surprised at how naturally it came to me and and with all that too there was some stuff that i still had reservations about i was okay with saying the church is right about this but i didn't understand certain things mm-hmm. and i was like i'm willing to go with the church on this because i've been in rca for nine months and i'm i'm willing to just say yes but there's this weird thing that happens, and I don't know if anybody else has experienced, but like the grace to believe the things that were hard for me sort of kind of came when I got confirmed. Like there was a lot of stuff that I was like wrestling with that finally, once I got confirmed and after a couple of months in the church, I was like, yeah, I think I'm good with that, <laughs> you know? Um, but one thing I didn't expect in that, it really in that first year or so, I, can, I don't think I can even pinpoint when this happened, but, you know, I used to, you know, when you hear about, Stuff happening, uh, you know, people being persecuted for the faith in far-flung regions of the world and, and, and awful things happening. You're like, man, that's awful what's happened to those people over there. Uh, or, you know, Sunday night church, you'd have somebody come in from the mission field. Uh, you know, Sunday night was always like the missionary talk night at, uh, at my churches that I went to. And somebody would come in and be like, oh, that's interesting what's happening over there and like the things that they're doing for them. Like... I didn't expect to have this like deep seated feeling that that took root so fast that like when a church gets bombed in Nigeria, I don't think like, man, that's awful what happened to them. I'm like, that's awful what happened to us. You know, like that happened to yeah. us, you know, like this weird, like 
almost like a physical sense of the body of Christ that I never had before. Like when one part suffers, the whole body suffers. I didn't expect to feel that as deeply as I do now because, you know, you're hearing that and feeling that in the liturgy that, you know, we're referring to the whole world every time we, you know, talk our way through the mass and pray our way through the prayers in the, in the liturgy. And, and when something happens to somebody else somewhere around the world, I don't think to myself, man, that's awful what happened to them. I'm like, what are they? Like, it's, it's when, you know, Jesus says to Saul, why are you persecuting me? Like, that's, that's, that's us that those things are happening to But, um, even amongst the lukewarm right, so, and driest Catholics, I will say I have sensed that understanding. So whatever the church has yeah. been doing to settle that in at an early age, um, they're doing right. Well, it's the sacraments. <laughs> I mean, I think that's ultimately what it comes back to. Um, the the real, very real idea of communion that I don't think we had uh, even like a glimmer of what that would be like in our Protestant backgrounds. But um, now we'll ask the awkward thing at the end here before we let you go. And that is what's the one of the biggest mistakes that you made in that first year of being Catholic that you would say to a baby Catholic to encourage them to not, you know, fall off the cliff that you fell off or to step in the uh, cow manure that you stepped in? Like, what would be a a mistake you made that you would encourage another person not to make, especially in that first year? Uh, who wants to go first on that one? I was going to make a joke and say, make a Twitter account. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a good point. And I, I guess my answer would be, I'll go first. Is My answer would be a lot like what Keith said is, uh, do take the advice very seriously when your priest or deacon, whoever's running the mystagogy portion of your RCIA, they say, and my, my priest put it differently, Keith. He didn't say, uh, don't, don't, he, or he didn't say, I ask you not to. He said, don't ask to join anything because I'm not going to let you. You're not going to, you know, I'm not talking about parish council or anything like that. I'm talking about the Knights of Columbus, this and that. Don't do it. And there was some disappointment when they said that. I was like, oh, really? But I'm, I'm Sean McAfee. I can handle a lot of things. I can juggle. Um, and I can do that. Uh, I, I, I didn't. I took his advice, but I was definitely taken away and disappointed in a way. Um, I don't remember how long. That was 11 years ago. But, um, it was a great act of obedience to, uh, to, to take his advice, um, despite some initial disappointment. Yeah. How about you, Keith? Yeah. I think it's, we kind of covered this, but, I did feel a lot of obligation to do things because I was a new Catholic that led me to kind of, you know, feel like I wasn't being a good enough Catholic. And I said, so here's what I would say. The biggest mistake you could make is to compare yourself to other people. And that's the, that's true of people who are not as fired up as you are. And you can go, wow, I wish they were as fired up as me. I'm great. Or, people who are 10 times holier than you and know way more than you and have been doing this a lot longer than you can go, man, I'm, I'm terrible. Because you're going to get all kinds in the Catholic church. Remember, whatever you're looking for, you're going to find. If you want to find people that aren't as good as you, you'll find them. If you want to find people that make you feel like you're terrible, you'll find them. So don't compare yourself to other people as a new Catholic um, and especially people who've been doing this a lot longer than you have. And feel like you have to be at that at their level. Yeah. Well, if you're a baby Catholic, then literally everybody in that room, including like the two year olds, have been doing it longer than you have. <laughs> so yeah, that's yeah. part of it. You guys were gonna. You, you went really deep and, and abstract and like you know theological and, and you know 
existential with your things. I was going to say, uh, biggest mistake that I made was not being clear about what I was going to do in my game plan whenever I visited my non-Catholic family and a Sunday rolled around, you know, mm. to, uh, to figure out what we we're going to do about church because, you know, you're supposed to go to church with your, with your family, you know, when you're in town, at least in my world. Yeah. So I, the, one of the biggest mistakes that I made early on was saying, uh, you know, we were thinking about possibly entertaining the idea of perhaps making some time to, if it's okay, get to the nine o'clock mass at Saints Peter and Paul. When in fact, by saying it and hedging it that much, what I was really telling my family was this weird thing that I did that freaked everybody else out isn't actually that important to me. Uh, <laughs> so I learned very quickly that all I've got to say is like, yeah, don't hold up anything on us. We're, uh, we're going to be at the you know, the nine o'clock mass. Um, so we'll catch up with you guys, you know, whenever we catch up with you guys and just being like firm, like this is just what we're doing. You can come if by you want. hedging it. <laughs> yeah. By hedging it, I made people think that like, you know, maybe I just became Catholic because like, it's the latest thing I'm into right now. Mm. Uh, by being firm about it, people were like, Oh, we're just confident. I don't get it, but it's apparently like a real thing. Right. So, um, that's a, that's a mistake that I made that. I, I mean, this is well, this is this is all free advice the whole the whole episode. But uh, <laughs> let's uh, steer people towards your stuff because you've both written, as I said at the beginning of this episode, books. Uh, and Keith, you've even done like a, a YouTube series on this that are directly focused on that first year, especially Keith. Uh, if you could mention what you've got that people can look into. Yeah. So the book that I wrote is called "The Convert's Guide to Roman Catholicism: Your First Year in the Church," and it's. Basically, what you're supposed to do, what you're not supposed to do, and what you need to know. And you can All find right. that on my website. You can go to Amazon. So wherever you want to find it, just Google it or go to Amazon, and you'll you'll find it and buy many copies to give them away. To buy as it. many copies. Buy them for your whole RCIA class next year. And actually, while you're in the checkout line at your local Catholic bookstore, pick up Sean's book. And if you could, Sean, I mean, this, you guys have the one-two punch of what we want to give everybody <laughs> when they come into the church. I mean, honestly, they should walk out of... Easter Vigil with two books in their hands. Sean, if you could mention yours. By the Catechism of the Catholic Church and Keith's book. <laughs> <laughs> I love this guy. Nice Because I'm Catholic, nice, now done. what? And it, it aims to do uh, exactly the same or similar is what should you do, not just within your first year, but how should you think about, live out, and consider your life as a Catholic? And there are things in this book. I, The original title, the working title, was like 100 Things to Do While You're Catholic. Um, so there are some hundred things to do, but you could space this out in your first year, your 10th year, your 50th year. Um, there's no end. You have to take your time and to answer Matt's question, get to year two. So I think yeah. you need both books because mine's really like, okay, first mine's really focused on the first year, even things like, how do you tell your friends that you're becoming Catholic? Like, what should you do? What shouldn't you do? How do you come out as a Catholic? Um, things like that. Whereas Sean's book's going to like take you even farther down the road. So you're, you're going to need his as, as well. So I say I think get them should, both. I think, I think yeah. the coming home network should purchase, you know, 5,000 copies of each book and package them together and offer them to people at a special discounted rate. And Matt will sign them all. I honestly think that the Coming Home Network should give them for free to anyone who becomes Catholic. And the only way we can do that is if generous sponsors go to chnetwork.org slash donate and, uh, you know, fill up our Shepherd's Fund with all the funds and resources. Because honestly, that's that's the one thing that I am very firm about, at least in my own parish, is like if somebody's coming to the church, 
uh, they should not have to pay for their own catechism and Bible. We got to cover that, man. Give them a rosary while we're at it. <laughs> you know, well when played. people are coming to the church, we got to give them as much stuff as we can uh, so that the burden is off of them. Yeah. And so it's as easy you as possible. You shouldn't have to pay for, to for resources that help you live a life. Exactly. Exactly. So um, I mentioned my donate page. But if you want to find other episodes of the Coming Home Network Presents program, go to chnetwork.org. You can also go to our online community because. It's actually full of a whole bunch of people who are processing these very kinds of conversations together in our own sort of closed social network that is basically only for converts and people on the journey. And a lot of them are brand new people sorting out, like I say, these very questions. But you can find links to Keith's stuff and Sean's stuff in the show notes. Uh, they both have just honestly great stuff that we recommend to, to all our new people. So thank you so much, Keith. Thank you so much, Sean. And hopefully we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks. Next year. Thank you. And thank you for watching this episode of Coming Home Network Presents. Catch you next time around.